Well, next week we'll start, God willing, our study in First Peter. But today I want to just do a reading, if I may, focused on a biblical teaching of motherhood. If we're in Christ, we must not ignore the truth that in these end of days, we are overwhelmed with great delusion and deception. It's interesting to note how in Christ's teaching of the last times, especially in Matthew 24, how often he uses the word deception, warning his people to be anchored, to be fixed, to hold to that which is true. The greatest threat to believers most especially in the last days is deception. To be deceived and to in, even sometimes maybe in the smallest way join in with agreement to the delusion in any degree that the world will come under. We must be different from the world. I have lived a fairly long time. I've lived longer than some, not as long as others. I think, however, I've lived long enough to be able to state that I have not seen such deception nor have I seen it recorded historically outside of certain eras of the Bible than what I see today and experience and read about. This needs to be great concern to the believer because in this great threat, the enemy seeks to bring us under spiritual darkness and away from the light. And this deception addresses every cultural and societal element. It is especially focused on the family. And as has been seen in recent years, especially focused even on the basic foundation of the human race, such things that are seen in the, in the biblical sense as foundational, namely, gender. The Bible is very plain, very simple. You don't have to really have a degree in Hebrew or Greek to see that it's in both testaments, male and female, created he, them. That means that he creates it. We don't create it. He creates it. And you can't go beyond those two. However, 
we're under strong attack, deception, even, even those in the church, to face this great threat of delusion that addresses even the foundational elements of society and culture. In order to do that, <clears throat> the enemy has to attack the family. And the one in the family who bears God-given responsibility regarding children and the next generation and the heritage that is ours belongs to the mother because she carries the child in the womb, nurtures it, The nurses it at her breast and raises it. It is the mother, historically, who is the one who is always there. My Aunt Hazel used to keep me when my mama and daddy used to have to go to Birmingham. Daddy had a clothing business and he had to go down to First Avenue North in Birmingham from time to time to buy dry goods. And so... He wanted mother to go with him on those occasions. It was always on a Wednesday. And my Aunt Hazel, whom I loved dearly, would keep me. She had a, a bed that had posts on each corner. And at the foot of it, it had this big round post and she made me a horse. And I rode that horse half the day. And she made the best buttered toast in the world. I don't know how she did it. It was wonderful, crunchy, laden with butter. I'm still carrying some of that butter uh, <laughs> today. I cherish it. And I loved to see my Aunt Hazel. However, it could not compare with the late afternoon when my mama came through the door. Daddy was there, but I ran to mama. My mama was my mama. Nothing could compare. Didn't matter how bad I got hurt. She could fix it. How hungry I was. She could take care of it. She was also the enforcer of the family. She whipped me many times. There's not a single time that I didn't deserve it, I'm sure. It's a godly woman. She read to me from the Bible the first time I ever heard Bible words. She taught me how to sing, how to pick out notes. On the piano, she taught me how to pick out a part in harmony. We'd sing little songs together, and then we got old enough, and I'd sing in the church with my mama. Most of the time, she would sing alto, and I would sing the lead note. Then I'd learn from learning the scales, how to get into the guitar and all this other stuff. And she was always supportive of me musically and anything that I ever did. She was non-supportive of bad grades. 
If it was a D, I got a whipping. This is the way it was. If I made a D, I got a whipping. I got to tell you something. I'd almost give my right arm if I could make one more D and let mother whip me one more time. I miss her that much. But she always explained to me and the rules were always there and I learned when I got up into the grades where you'd make A, B, C, D, and F, I learned right off the bat, we're expecting A's. We will endure B's, we will tolerate C's, we will not tolerate D's and F's. You can read, you have a brain, you study it, do your homework, we'll help you if we can. When you take a test, you make sure that you make high grades. One time I made a D in general science. I hate science. I still do. And I wasn't that good at math, but I was terrible with science. That part of my brain just never developed. And I came in with that D. And I took it to daddy. He was always easier in whipping than mother was. So I remember this very well. It was in the ninth grade. I came home and I took my report card right to daddy. He looked at it and said, you made a D. I said, yes, sir. Turn around. Took his belt off, whacked me a couple of times. But that was nothing like going out of the yard and selecting your own hickory stick. <laughs> snapping off those leaves passing the test whether or not it was big enough and strong enough for mother. But I had my share of whippings. I got to tell you, I got to think about this, but I think every time I got whipped for something, I don't think I was so dumb that I did it again. And I learned from it. And I learned a good thing, not a bad thing, but a good thing. Praised for good punished for bad. I was never deceived about what was good and bad and I grew up, my daddy was a preacher, my granddaddy was a preacher. We were really, I mean, the church was our lives, our, the Bible was our book, prayer was our way. This was commonplace for us, at least in the last, the days that I recall, being at home, many times when I started dating and I stayed out beyond their bedtime, I would come home and I would hear my, well, daddy was praying, mother would be kneeling, I know she was kneeling there with him at the bed, but they were praying. I could hear them. My daddy was never bashful about praying out loud on his knees with his forehead buried in his hand. I can see him now shaking his head and praying. He'd pray at the foot of his recliner. He'd pray at the foot of his bed. My mother would do the same. All the times that they prayed wanting me to do right, live right. Follow the Bible. 
Don't do anything that would offend God. Deception in the New Testament comes from a word planeo, which means to wander. I listened to a, in my infirmed condition a few days ago, I listened to a preacher. Did a real good study on deception in the, the word in the New Testament. It speaks of that which is not fixed. He gave a great illustration. I want to borrow his illustration. Planeo, in days before automobiles or anything, you'd sit out at the farm maybe or lay down on the ground. you just look at the stars. You could see so many of them. The sky was awash with stars, constellations. If you did it every night, you would note that some of those didn't stay fixed. They moved a little bit from one night to the next. Scientifically, of course, those were the planets, the wanderers, the drifters. That's from the Greek word planeo. Our lives are supposed to be fixed on something. We are supposed to be anchored. We are not supposed to be unanchored. We are supposed to be fixed on something solid and true and not drift from it. Because if we drift from it, according to the New Testament, we fall into deception. That's why we have to be nurtured in the Word of God. That's why godly parents have such a tremendous responsibility to make sure that the next generation is at least as focused on righteousness as the previous generation. If deception begins to win the battle, the culture begins to lose its place until that culture, that society, no longer exists like it used to. It changes. It, there's a metamorphosis that takes place. And the deception has its effect. God help us, we see such a thing these days. So we have this, as parents, and especially as mothers, who are the ones who are always there from conception on. It's just that way. It's the way God designed it to be. And those, those Bible truths, the doctrine. I know of some people, I know of some people calling us Christians and they just, oh, I can't stand. I, I had a staff member once. He said, I am, I don't, I don't, I want, man, I want, I want, I want emotion. I want happiness. I want numbers. I can't stand this doctrine stuff. It, it, it narrows the hallway to my side. I thought, you're crazy. I'd rather be in a stable, narrow hallway where the earthquake won't touch me than to be in a big, broad room where everything's falling apart. Doctrine. A fixed position. This is what the Bible does for us. It fixes our position. It's absolute truth. It's still here. All the other books, textbook, they, they, in their time and in their generation, they pass through and laugh and scoff at and mock the Bible and those who believe it. But the Bible is still here. 
The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So when things begin to wander, the fixed things always stay the same. So we must be nurtured in the word of God. We must be. Especially at the end of days because the deception is too strong. The enemy is too great. He overwhelms us. And we compromise a little bit here and a little bit there. And the first thing you know, we are tangled up in a spider's web from which we cannot escape. Deception. Here's a great teaching. I'm going to read it straight from the Hebrew text. Shabbat v'tochat. The rod. And rebuke. Now there's a conjunctive there which means the two are combined. The rod is useless without the instruction. I think, let me think, I have to think hard. I have two of my children here today. I have to think hard. I may have spanked y'all once or twice. I can't remember. But I also think that I can say that I never did it without telling you why. You understand why I'm about to do this? Well, not really, but go ahead. (laughs) No, they would always agree. I never did tell them it would hurt me more than it did them. I intended to hurt them more than, (laughs) than I was hurt. And that's not child abuse. In all humility before God with my face in the floor on the ground, And if I could collapse beneath whale manure, which is the lowest thing on planet earth, I would. To say in all humility, I am so thankful to God. That my children and my grandchildren are anchored in the faith. I didn't seem, the rod and the reproof didn't seem to drive them away. It seemed to do the thing, the next thing that's mentioned here. It gave wisdom. Yatin, give. The rod, and repro- repro- the rod and rebuke, reproof, chastisement. Give. Yatin, give. Comes from a root of the Hebrew natan, which means to set. I'm not going to say that this is a good illustration, but it it sort of lends to it a little bit to 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 pour concrete, and then it sets. It's 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 solid. You use the rod and the reproof to set something in this child's life, namely wisdom, not foolishness. Foolhardiness, wisdom, wisdom, the rod and the appropriate instruction, the chastisement, the reproof, 
the discipline, the corrective instruction, give, set in that child's life, sets wisdom. Wisdom. Chachma. Wisdom. Chachma. The Bible says in this very book, Proverbs, the Bible says that wisdom is the principal thing. And that the fundamental principle of wisdom is the knowledge of God, the fear of God. If you don't start there, your child will spiral in any kind of direction but up. And there is no wisdom to it. Without the knowledge of God and without the fear of God, there is no discipline. There is no responsibility in life. And you have the very opposite thing, which is namely a life of erosion. Such that today, if we collapse into this deception, we are experiencing the erosion of biblical Christianity. To be unanchored, to be adrift. So it, corporal punishment, this isn't child abuse. Hey, I'll tell you what. Let's just relax for a minute and consider the news of today and tomorrow and yesterday and the day before. Just consider the news and think of all of the modern cultural approaches of correction. There are none, really. And then go back to another day when there was, and tell me how it's worked out for us. Streets are on fire. Children in Bible schools are being killed. I could go on. You read the reports like I do. A child cannot be abandoned, cannot be left. A child, you don't have to teach a child how to be bad. He, he has that in him. You have to teach a child how to be good. And you can only do that with the strength of the Holy Spirit as a godly parent, nurtured in the Word of God. There is no other way. Take all of the books of the world, the philosophies of the world, and add those together and see what happens. What, ha what happened to the Greek culture? What happened to the Roman culture? I mean, we could go on and on with this. They fail. They collapse. The morality and sense of justice and righteousness are non-existent. And the culture implodes upon itself so that those within the culture become enslaved to those who are more focused and stronger. The rod and corrective instruction <clears throat> set wisdom, give wisdom. Basic foundation of which is the knowledge and fear of God according to the word of God. But a child, Vinar. A child comes from a Hebrew word that speaks of pre-adolescent child. A child in pre-adolescence. 
You see, if, 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 they've been, if they've been on their own to adolescence, they're gone. It, it really takes something harsh to change that mindset, that worldview, that attitude. A child, a pre-adolescent person left. Masla. Left. Abandoned. Left. Now, your, your translation may have in parentheses or in italics, left italics, to himself. Namely, left alone. Left to himself. Thrown away. Rejected. Abandoned. I will not assume this responsibility. You're on your own. Child. It has happened in every generation. It happens today. And it happens in our culture more than at any time in history where children are just abandoned to themselves. And the world is there to fill the void. Their devices and their laptops and their iPhones and their little unchecked friends and friendships who are living in darkness and who for whatever... Who wants to be cool? I don't give a... I don't care about being cool. The only time I tried to be cool in life was back when I was in the eighth grade. There was a... <laughs> there, was this, there was this fad called Bleeding Madras. Nobody... Well, maybe... Uh, I hate to say it that way. Are you that old to remember Bleeding Madras? Of course. Bleeding. Does anybody else ble remember Bleeding Mandras? Well, it shows you what a fool I was. <laughs> because I thought it was cool, but it didn't last long. What? It was this loud plaid, and it was made of dye, so that the first time you washed it, it nearly all disappeared, didn't it? It just, it just kept disappearing until there was nothing there. And as far as colors... Bleeding mattress. I had to have some of that. It was not cool. Thought it was. I've never wanted to be cool since. I'd rather be saved than cool. Cool becomes hot. To stand alone. That's the true courage and test of an individual. To stand on that which is right and true. Biblical Christianity. There is no turning. Biblical Christianity was never intended to fit into the culture of the day. It cannot. If it is forced to, it no longer is biblical Christianity. It's the world. And people feel good then going to a church that is a church of the world. And they make excuses for biblical Christianity and thus deny and then ultimately reject it. A child left. Masulah left, abandoned. Here, darling, here's your device. Play a game. Here's a phone. Call a friend. Left to himself. Mabish. Mebish brings shame to Emma, his mother. 
brings shame to his mother. The encumbrance of motherhood. God gives you grace, mothers, to love that child in a way that the father can't understand or love it. To want to nourish that child. You know, how many times the, the, this mother instinct, they keep wanting to feed a, a child, you know? Give him food. He's had enough. Leave him alone. I'm running out of money. Yeah. The strong instinct of motherhood to tend to that child in every whit is a God-given thing. It is an added grace to a woman. The rod and rebuke, the rod and uh, corrective instruction set in a life, set in a position, or give wisdom. But a pre-adolescent child, abandoned, left, parentheses to himself, his own devices, brings shame, brings shame to his mother. The rod and corrective instruction give wisdom, but a child left brings shame to his mother. That's the Bible. Anything beyond that, anything that excuses that, anything that tries to correct that, add to it, or take away from it, is deception, which rips you away from a sure foundation. And at some point in time, assures instability and finally, destruction. Happy Mother's Day. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to stand. Let me tell you this. We have deacons and wives in rooms just as you leave. If you would come to the Lord by faith today. They're ready to pray with you. If you're interested in church membership, they're ready to talk to you and pray with you. As you exit, we want to make you mindful of that. And also we have Mother's Day uh, gifts, uh, various kinds of gifts. And mothers, they're yours. You get them as you leave. Okay, Brother Greg, you going to pray for us?